That's what's up. Hashtag living it with Tina and Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Anderson DeSilva with another episode of Hashtag Living It. I still don't have Tina back yet. Uh, hopefully next week she will be back. I was talking to her today. She's still kind of not kind of ready. But just to let you guys know, she's doing better. Uh, you know, she's been in a good mood and uh, she's been really been in a good uh, uh, place right now. But in the meantime, I got my homie, my boy, Bobby Bishop. What's going on, bro? Hey, man, long time. Yeah, man. How you been? I'm well, bro. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, just, you know, we're all in the same situation right now, man. Yeah. So just, just trying to, uh, just trying to hold my breath for some normalcy. <laughs> man. Good, man. Uh, I, I believe it, man. It, it, it's been tough. It's been uh, real tough, but it looks like every, we're, we're opening up a lot and everything. And I know you're, yeah. you're a social worker, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how has then, how has the pandemic has affected your line of work. Yeah, it's, so uh so I've hey is this is this strict video or we nah, audio? just audio. It's just, it's just audio. Okay, so yeah. it doesn't matter the way it looks. All right, cool. nah, nah. All right, good. Um well, it's kind of twofold here in that I um I I'm a I'm the clinical director at a high school, at Lynn Classical High School. Um and also, I'm a family therapist through a local service ag- services agency here in Lynn. So, yeah, when it comes down to it, um, everything just went to Zoom. Mm. So, with school, I think the biggest issue has been I'm so accustomed to like if I'm making one-on-one connections with students, there's something kind of magical about being there in person they can see right right when you're when you're trying to especially when you're trying to like tap into uh, when you're trying to gain a, a kid's trust and they've never met you before and you sort of have to turn on the charm and there's something magical about the environment that i've set up there as far as it being comfortable and everything i mean so suddenly that's eliminated right um, right so to randomly get a get a message from the school social worker if you've never met me it there's an intimidation factor that i was so readily able to diffuse before just by inviting them down to my room because as soon as they walk in they're like oh this is chill right no big deal that's gone so i've had to get real creative about okay how do i how do i help them like drop their guard a little bit and recognize that I'm not going to bang them on the head. Like I'm just here to support because the, especially with the pandemic, like so many kids there, every tool they ever learned how to get through high school has kind of been flushed down the toilet and they've had to start over. And right, some kids yeah. who used to getting A's are now failing. And some kids who used to mm. fail are now getting A's. You know? so, <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> you know, um, but with my, with my job as a, as a therapist, um, it's just been on Zoom. You know, but it's the same kind of obstacles. I'm used to being in person and, and getting to know someone, and, and not doing right. that, doing that over the screen. It it, it definitely yeah, it's me. more real when you're in person, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and then you can yeah. like just kind of just uh, you get you get like a different feeling from a person when you're in person. When you're just watching the video, you can't really you know it's 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 really hard to get that hundred percent human connection right. when you're not like in the person's presence so i hear you man 
it's it's interesting. My 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 supervisor, she she's just real complimentary. She uh, she she calls me her magical person, you know. And, <laughs> and it's you know it's complimenting that she's like, man, sometimes you you have an ability to break down barriers readily that I didn't anticipate you'd be able to do. That's just you know that's just through years of exercising empathy, right? But like you said, when when some things are eliminated, I'm like, man, I, I can't win this kid over because he does not know me. I'm just another right. face on this screen right now, man. So yeah, yeah it's, it's been a challenge, but we're getting there, like you said. We're Has it been hard there. to like have them like open up or are they, or are, are they still opening up? Yeah, what I, what I found is um, the kids that seek me out, like it's, especially if they've hit like a breaking point, and they just, they're isolated, depression, anxiety is exacerbated and everything. If they've taken that first step to like reach out to me and say, hey, I, need to, I need to talk to somebody. I mean, if this kid already knows me, that's been the advantage. Like we're just kind of like, if they already knew me from however many years before or last year, whatever it is, that's been fine. Like I've been able to completely maintain all those relationships. But if it's a kid who never met me, if they initiated the contact, it's exponentially easier because they, they clearly got to a point where they're like, I need to talk to somebody, right. you know? So, um, so getting those kids to open up, that hasn't been a, a big deal. It's more the ones that a problem was identified. Someone else in the building asked me for my help and then getting that kid to trust yet another adult who seems to be concerned that that's where sometimes I hit a wall where it, take, yeah. it takes a lot of effort to get them. But it's just you got to be relentless. Is what it comes down to. So now, all, all these kids, these kids, are they? I mean, these kids are are usually are they usually kids that are like been in trouble with the law, or is it just uh, kids that that need like a mentor? Or um, both. So I, I I oversee the whole high school, so it's kind of it, it's literally like there's there's no category. Oh, okay. It's, so, it's all right. So, you work. Might be so, you work struggling. with the school, you said, right? You said you work with the school, not with the uh, city. Oh, yeah. I'm an employee of, of the school system. Oh, okay. All right. I, 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 I'm sure you, you said that. I thought you meant the, t I thought you meant the city. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I know I do. I work for, so I work for the city of Lynn as a Lynn Public Schools social worker. Oh, so, gotcha. So, yes, gotcha. those statements are all, cor all correct. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so all categories. So, what's the, What's the most like? Um, what's the, how? How do I want to ask this? So the the kids that you deal with, what do you deal with the most? You know, are, is it is it just uh, kids that are just they're, they're just misbehaving? Is that what you deal with the most, or is it kids that no. just like have problems at home and they just need somebody to talk to? Yeah, it's it's mostly social emotional wellness. Mm. Um, when it comes down to disciplinary stuff, sometimes they'll bring me in like a, um, like a vice principal or the principal might bring me in to take like a restorative approach. If they realize like, Hey, there's, there's more going on in this kid's life. than um, maybe we realized that subsequently led to misbehavior. So we want to bring the social worker in to kind of cushion some of that. Maybe we can, so there's a, a theory called restorative justice where instead of just saying, okay, here's the crime, here's the punishment, we say, okay, here's the crime, um, here's the punishment, or well, sometimes they'll leverage it and say, you can take that punishment or that disciplinary action, let's say five days suspended, 
or you could go talk to Mr. Bishop uh, three times. And if he gives us the green light that you and he came to an agreement and he got, if you willing to talk to him a little bit about what's really going on, you're good. Right. So a lot, I mean, kids almost always inevitably take the second option. It's right. like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not suspended bet. So they'll come in and just chop it up with me a few times. And they inevitably, I always end up not letting them off the hook. I'm like, Hey, they, it took some courage for them to come out and talk to me. So right. they're good to go. Right. And we, um, and then we monitor it, obviously, depending on what the situation was. But inevitably, man, the the pattern, honestly, um, it's funny. It's, as far as you mentioned, as far as being a father to girls, um, you know, I've been youth groups and stuff, and then coming all the way up. So I've always been around like teenage males. For, I mean, kids used to go on tour with me and stuff. I'd always yeah. bring Lynn kids with me if we were going, especially if we were local enough. Like if we were in New York City or something like that, I'd bring Lynn kids with me. Um, so I've always been around the guys, but, um, in this situation, I find the ones that line up at the door the most are the girls, uh, as far as them needing like a hub, a safe space. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized kind of over time is that if there is an unhealthy father, uh, relationship right. situation void, uh, they're oftentimes kind of craving some positive um like fatherly advice so yeah so i mean that's it, it's kind of become like a joke with my coworkers. right if it's a on valentine's day forget it like <laughs> like last year for valentine's day i i probably had a line of 20 girls out the door just waiting <laughs> to like it was insane because they just i have a big bean bag in my room i don't make them talk they inevitably talk but um, men sometimes they bring their friends and they just get on the bean bag yeah. and just like let it out. You know what I mean? It's, it's, but it's because I have daughters, man. Like I know how to, I know how to talk to them. Right, I, have kids, right. I have daughters, you know? So, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of been the, the, the running joke. Like, right. I, you know what? It's funny. Heck, it's yeah. funny that you say that because, mm-hmm. you know, when you have daughters, you mm-hmm. can connect with, with girls a little bit better. And it's funny because a few years ago, um, I was doing some side work and I, been on this job and it was a 50 year old woman she lived on her own yeah and uh, i've been on the job and there was like three other electricians that bid on the job and i ended up getting the job and after i was done and she paid me she asked she said to me she said you know you were more expensive than the other electricians i said i was she's like yeah she's like well there's a couple of reasons why i chose you because one um, all the holes that you made, you patched up and where the other electricians wouldn't. And I said, oh, okay. And she's like, and are you married? I was like, yeah. She's like, you have kids? I'm like, yeah, I have three daughters. Yeah. She's like, that's it. You came in and I felt more comfortable with you yeah, yeah. than the other men. And I could tell it's because you have daughters. So I think it's just unknowingly, yeah. we, we put out that vibe because yeah. we're protective of our daughters mm-hmm. So that's how we naturally are with women. You know, yeah. when I'm around women, I'm, I'm naturally just, just nice there and protective. Yeah. And I think women like feel that willing to listen. Well, my wife might say, say something different, but you know what I mean? So yeah. I think I, I think I get where you're getting at with that. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's an inevitability. And the, the interesting balance kind of has become like the boundaries in that their kid, like for example, their kids that I had all four years of high school, that 
I graduated out that, I mean, I had one kid, she was with me. I mean, she was with me every day for four years. Wow. You know what I mean? So we, we, we grew really close. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And she called me dad and. Oh, wow. Um, that must've really pierced your heart. It was tough when she had to go, but, but what's happened since then is, you know, I, I get, to, I get to maintain these relationships oftentimes, but then it's, it's finding that balance after the fact as well, as far as like, what is the open door policy at my house, et cetera. Like I, I have one kid who she probably ends up coming through like once a week now, but it, it did take some time to adjust. And I had to learn as I went to like, okay, yeah, of course my, my home is open. Cause I, I knew her mom and everything real well at that point. Like it, it wasn't an issue of like, safety or trust like we right. knew each other really well at that point in the game but a matter of like oh now this has shifted you've graduated but that doesn't mean that necessarily like this relationship is over it just needs to change now right and, and like learning that boundary of okay well where is the line and we actually had to work on it because right. there were times where she would just show she, she had a car so she would just show up sometimes and i'd have to be like hey listen you know, now isn't a good time for you to just show up. And we, we found the balance of like, right. Where it got to the point where it was actually, she's like, okay, I'm going to wait for you to invite me. And if you invite me, I'll come. And so then I became proactive about like knowing when it was a good time for her to come because she's friends with my kids now and stuff. So yeah. it was just, it's just a balance to it. But I realized that too, like, man, there are some relationships that you make in this field where you, you keep them. Yeah. Um, and it's important to keep them. It's just a matter of uh, letting them evolve and doing it in a healthy way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Cause I, 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 I'm sure that after these kids graduate, you, you definitely want to know where they're at like 10, yeah. 15 years from now. So yeah. I'm sure you, you would like to keep those connections, even though they end up being a little distance. So even if it's 10 yeah. years, you get an email right. once a year from them or, or, or Christmas card. I'm sure you'd want to know where, where they headed. Yeah. I, and the intensity is going to change. You right. know what I mean? Like inevitably, like some kids, the reason they've kind of been around after they graduate is because of the pandemic. They didn't go off to college or whatever, right. uh, or whatever they may have done next. They've been stuck in the house. So they're still kind of like holding on to, to things. Right. That's going to change. I mean, right. there's no way this, the, there's some kids like over time, this is what happens. Right. right? But like you said, but knowing that if something's going on and they need some support, there's an unconditional nature to that. Like, right. hey, I got, yeah, of course, I got you. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you're right, bro. You're bro yeah, you're no, right. Is there, um, how long have you been uh, with the high school for now? This is my fifth year. Fifth year? Yep. Now, you're, you know, from the first year where you were there, is there any kids like that gone and graduated? Or any kids like still, still kind of contact you once in a while from like yeah. the first yeah. year? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have a kid, like I was saying this one kid I had from almost day one, her freshman year all the way through. Cause she, she clicked with me immediately. And she was, I was kind of like her, my room, my office was her home base. Like every morning she came down and dropped her stuff off in my room in between classes. She'd come through, check in, et cetera. It was, it was just this on, it, 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 it grew into like, I would, like I said, I was home base for her. So four years of that. And then she graduates um, it wasn't just like, okay, peace, you know, like mm -hmm. we, we've, we've absolutely stayed in touch. And even though it's a different season of her life and I, I give it, I give it space and kind of let her come to me, but definitely probably once or, you know, once every week or once every two weeks, she checks in just to kind of update me where we're at and where she's at and 
you know, just to kind of put a little wind in their sails. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, absolutely, man. The, no, that's, that's great, man. Um, so, um, so I want to move on. So to, to this, um, I mean, well, I'm obviously going to touch back to your doing social work, but, um, yeah. all right. So let me ask this. When you graduated college, did you go right to social work and then the music came or, or did the music like come like right away? And then after a while, I know Beat Mart came, came along. So yeah. how, how did that all happen? So it went from, um, I started messing around in high school, just demo tape type stuff, got to college. My boy had some equipment, like right my freshman year in college. Mm -hmm. um, so this was 94, 95. Um, he had like a four track, some drum machines and stuff. So we just started messing around in one of the basements of the college dorm, did a couple of demos there. So then kind of all through college was just making like small little projects, right. had some friends from school that would jump in and, you know, uh, was doing as many shows as we could based on the profile that we had with, but so a lot of it was like on campus, oh, okay. um, like we did a lot of Boston stuff too. Like I met a lot of people in Boston. I met like New Breed and stuff. So I was doing stuff in Dorchester and, and stuff like that. Ah, New Breed, that's going back. Yeah. Right. So I met, <laughs> I knew them when I was in college. So then yeah. there was, I remember there was a time where it went from there to realizing like, oh, if we tap into a budget, we could do something more since the school always has a, a student government always has a budget they got to spend down. Mm -hmm. um, tapped into that and did a show um, the self-appointed opener, right? right? So it was it was me, New Breed, and Grits. Um, wow, Grits, man! The that, show. They're, they're, Grits, uh, ooh, ah, track is getting some traction on uh, on, TikTok. on TikTok. Yeah. I know. I heard it last night. I was like, they're still getting paid off this. I mean, Rick I Robbins know. is that is their Rick, biggest hit. I, I literally turned to Jess and I was like, I was like, Stacy, Rick, and Tehran are still making money off of this <laughs> song, and not not just a little bit of money, right? Like that song keeps their lights on, dude. It, wow. It's crazy how much licensing that song has done. And that's all Rick Robbins. Rick Robbins, he was DJ form. Yeah. Like he's, he's a, he's brilliant with sync licenses. So he, he, he has a whole company that that's, that's what he does. So wow. he not only produced that song and owns the writers in the, in publishing on it, but he knew where to go to get it synced. So it's wow. that song. Genius. Crazy. Yeah, man. But um, that's funny. That just happened yesterday. <laughs> that we had that conversation. Um, so it went from that to uh, graduated college, just started working um, a regular job. I was a business, I was a business major and a Spanish minor in college. So I, I wasn't even in the social work field yet, but I had been running a youth group in Lynn while I was in college mm. um, at a church on Washington street. So we were always, you know, ciphering every week, freestyle and all that. And, and like I said, on weekends, I was always in Boston doing stuff. Um, so then went, went from that to, I'm like, oh, I want to put out a, an indie project. So I started working on a project and it took me a few years, um, because it was, it wasn't really home equipment stuff. Like we couldn't really capitalize on all that stuff like we can now. So I was right. saving up for studio time, going to the studio, recording, saving up some more, going yeah. back in, um, paying for beats, all that. And because, you know, a, a producer would have to come to the studio with you with his hardware and lay it down. You know, wow. it wasn't it wasn't that easy. Wow. Um, so uh, I remember ended up. Did this one song that got started getting independently, started picking up some steam 
Um, there's a kid in the youth group who had been through something. I don't know if you remember, it was called A Song for Amy. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so that was one of the kids in the, in the Lynn youth group that uh, it was her story. So we wrote the song together, recorded it. She came to the studio and kind of coached me through, make sure the story was right and everything. So recorded that and submitted it to, there was like a distributor in New York City who was putting out a mix, like a distributed mixtape. And I submitted it. And that all of a sudden I started getting calls to come out to New York to do shows. So like, cause they, they just gave that, they printed a CD and they gave away, I don't know how many thousand, I mean, I think they gave away like 50,000 copies of wow. or something crazy. So all of a sudden I'm getting calls from, from spots in New York, like, Hey, come to the Bronx, come to, come to Queens, da, da, da. So Brooklyn and stuff. So I was going out there quite a lot and finishing up this project at the same time. Um, in 02, I finished up the indie joint. And then started, so shows kept picking up and then started working on another one. Like I met a, um, I met this producer, Dewan Parker, who was at Berkeley. And uh, I just never heard beats like his before. So he, he started coming to the studio with me and putting, be, you know, using some of his production. And kind of like right around that time, I was wrapping up another project. Um, so subsequently it was crazy, like, Dewan ended up graduating Berkeley and then Dr. Dre hired him. So oh, wow. I never saw, I, I saw him once wow. after that, you know, cause I, one time I went to LA and visited with him, but like, that's how good this kid was. And it was crazy. Cause I heard, I heard, I knew I was out of my league with him. As soon as I heard his stuff, I'm like, this is the best producer I've ever heard. Yeah. And, and it was crazy. Cause a few years later, as, as, as soon as he was done, Dre put him on, it was, it was nuts. So he, you should wow. see, you should see his resume. Like, he produced for everybody. Ah, that's bananas, um, man. Why, why? You know, it's like, good lord. But um, so went from there to uh, KJ Five Two. Mm-hmm. Um, called me one day and said, "There's, you know, there's a, a mixtape situation that is being worked on. We used to submit some stuff." So I did. Uh, heard back, hey, you made it, but then like nothing happened with it. And I was like, I mean, I wonder what went on. And like, literally it took a couple of years. And then that came back around where he, same producer, Todd Collins called me again and said, Hey, we're actually going to like do it for real this time. That was a little premature, but he had Todd actually sold his portion of, of goatee records. He started a new label called beat Mart. Uh His first project's a mixtape. He's reaching out to basically everybody who's an MC to, to submit something. Um, And then we'll just kind of pick from that. So I, you know, it was just like a quick, a quick freestyle type thing. It wasn't off the top, but right. it, it was just like, uh, I think it was a 16 bars, right? So I recorded that and just kind of made it like tongue in cheek, something I was like clowning around about like, I said like, I'm the new kid on the block, Bobby Bishop. You don't know me. I'm hanging tough like Danny, Donnie, John and Joey. <laughs> um, I floor it like. I floor it like Jordan Knightley. You can find me with an SM58 of waste management behind me, which is uh, Ilde and, and Yeah, Andrew. yeah, yeah. So, um, and then at the, at the end of the freestyle, because I'm friends with Seb Static, at the end of the freeze, because the freestyle is called Lunchroom Freestyle. So like the beat was like a beat that you would make on a lunch table. And there was like a crowd in the background. So it was made to be like, we're in the lunchroom rapping right now. So, um, so we did like kind of like a skit at the end. Like the beginning, I was like, hey, hey, can I sit with you guys? And we started rapping. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, nah, man, you can't sit with us. And I was like, fine, I'm out. I'm gonna go sit with the frat kids, move over, Seth. And like, <laughs> and like, and like so Todd, Todd thought that was funny. Yeah. So he um, so he sent me another beat. 
It said, give me something else. So then I did another track that was, again, just like a tongue in cheek. It was called One Hit Wonder, you know, and, and he liked it. And that just kind of like the relationship kept going. And ultimately, he was like, let's, um, let's do something. It wasn't just him. Like, I was real proactive, like yeah. pursuing him. Like, hey, I want to do something with you. Let's right. go. So uh, even though I wasn't the first artist that they signed, I was their first um, release other than the Best of the Submissions. My record came out first. Um, so which was cool. You know, they yeah. had distribution. Their distribution at the time through uh, Word, through Warner. It was, yeah. yeah, Word Warner. And then, so we did a record. And then like shortly after the record was released, it didn't get that extensive uh, um, distribution because they changed distributors partway through. So yeah. it came out and then they did a new deal with, with Sony. Um, with Providence Sony, so we uh, they re-released it. So we recorded like a double disc, did an EPL attached it to it, and re and re-released it. So, so I was yeah, I was with them for they're in Nashville, so I was flying back and forth to Nashville. But I was with them for um, I guess it was like four years. Wow, man. Yeah, it feels um, like it feels like when the premiere came out, the album premiere. Yeah. I felt like mm -hmm. they pushed that more oh, than Sophie's anybody else's, else's did, album. Yeah, yeah. it. You know, man, I mean, this is, this, there is, that's, I mean, that's like literally a whole podcast as far as the whole conversation, <laughs> yeah. how it all went down. I, right. I can only speak for myself. Right. Um, looking back, artistically, I needed more development. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there are things I have some pretty strong. Oops. Yeah, I think your mic, I can still hear you, but I could tell it's off of the computer now instead of your mic. It's weird. It just like stopped juicing. Hold on, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's all right, man. Take your time. This this is stuff I've always dealt with when right, Tina yeah. and I first started. When Tina and I first started the podcast, we we dealt with a lot of this. It literally just like stopped powering the um the motor. I think maybe the battery went down too far on the laptop. Yeah. And it didn't have enough juice to power the motor. Ah dang. I'm sorry, bro. Ah, it's all right, man. Take your time. Go ahead. I'll figure it out. <laughs> it's not juicing back up now. So. Let's try this again. You still hear me from the computer? Yeah, I can still hear you. I can still hear you fine. Oh, here you go. Default mic has changed. Oh, there. Now you sound different. All right. That's better? Yeah. All right. Cool, cool. All right. I don't know if you're able to turn up your mic a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you sound, I don't know, maybe you turned it down a little bit when you're... How's that? Oh, that's way better. Way better? All right, cool. Way better, man. All right. All right. All right so I, I, I feel like I'm like rambling, but kind of what came down is I needed more development is, is what it came down to, man. And a lot of what was going on at the time, and I have a lot of perspective on this now, as far as my opinions of being white and in hip hop and the responsibility that comes with that. Mm -hmm. um, at the time I was young, I didn't 
have a ton of perspective on this. I've been adjacent to people for my whole life, but actually thinking through the idea that there's a responsibility that comes with that. Um, I don't think anybody was talking about it like they should have been. And what was happening was all of a sudden, um, if you were a white rap artist in that corner, in that genre, the unspoken thing was you got to make music for a white audience. Mm. And, and it ended up being not just a white audience, but like a, a youth group audience. Um, so, and I'm talking about like KJ type music, right? Yeah. yeah. Like he was pigeonholed into that corner. He was. And I don't, I don't, I'm not pointing fingers at him because I was doing it too in that I, I think I subconsciously had the same mentality, like, oh, I have to make this kind of a music. It's got to be, it's got to be a little bit more fun. It's got to be mm. non-threatening. It can't be too heavy. Da-da-da-da-da. Um, we got we to gotta get ready for a festival crowd. And that's, that's, that's dog whistle for youth group white kids. <laughs> um, and no one was saying it, but in hindsight, that's what was happening. Um, that's not what I've done historically. I've been more like boom bap type right. vibe is this what my love was. So the record kind of ended up being this weird fusion of things that didn't quite gel. That didn't quite gel together the way it should have. Yeah. Um, it's almost like you either got to go one way or the other with it, either make a gritty record at the right. time, make something gritty, or make something pop, but don't try to straddle because it's going to come out weird. And it wasn't, it, it, it's, I'm proud of it because I did it as yeah. far as the, the art itself. But um, there are things, there are pieces of it developmentally that right now I listen to and I'm like, and I needed a, I needed a clearer vision, mm. you know, right. I suppose you only get clearer vision as you experience things. Right. So right. Uh, they ended up, I don't know all the details, but um, I ended up leaving the label before they closed shop. Um, Cause we did talk about doing another record and it wasn't like this big, like, no, I'm leaving. It was just more, I really genuinely felt like I, I shouldn't be, I toured for a while, for a couple of years, I toured almost exclusively, like straight. And um, I realized somewhere along the way, it's like, man, I, I'm, I'm really called to be local as far as my relationships and having, you know, done youth, youth pastoring and social work because we just started a church and stuff. I just felt like everywhere I went, I missed Lynn. So I, I got to a point where I'm like, I, I can't do this full time anymore, man. Like I can't be out in Montana wishing I was home, you know, right. uh, not just because I miss my family, but um, as far as mission and vision, it didn't always feel quite right. So we talked about, we started working on another record of, of so a, th a third one technically is I did that double disc and um, I was working like they, I was consulting. They hired Manchild from Arzilla to kind of be like my consultant to oversee the project and stuff. And mm -hmm. um, I was, I had gone down to Atlanta and met up with him and worked on some things and ended up uh, realizing, I remember I was on a trip in West Virginia and it like all hit me in West Virginia. I was like, this is my last one. I, I can't keep 
I can't keep going at this pace. Mm. Um, so I remember being on the phone with the label uh, while I was in West Virginia and be like, you know what, man, I think, I think this is a wrap. You know what I mean? Like, cause contractually I wasn't obligated that we would have needed to do a new contract. Right. Um, so I was like, I don't, I don't think this is what I'm going to do. So, so yeah, that was, that was the end of that season. You know what I mean? They, unfortunately they ended up ending their season shortly thereafter. I think just a couple of months after that, they, or a few months after that, they ended up closing their doors altogether. So did you feel like after that, would you like, did you feel kind of like a relief, not for them, but like for yourself, like, Oh, good thing I left because look what happened. Or did you um, just feel indifferent about it? Well, I mean, there were a lot of things that, and, and again, at the time, there's not a bitterness, but there, there were definitely things that I didn't like the way they went down. But as I've gotten older, my perspective has balanced out a little bit yeah. regarding like, okay, I had some growth that had to take place personally as well. That certainly wasn't a one-sided situation. Like I had, I had some things I had to change. Um, about myself as well, regarding my own personal growth, spiritual growth and in emotional, um, mental health and emotional wellness. So that all affected everything, but so no bitterness, like no dissent at all. It was, it was peace. Um, but, you know, from there, I had already been friends with um, the wrecking this, this band from Portland. Yeah. Maine. I've been friends with them for years. Their their drummer or not their drummer. They're like he was kind of like a DJ slash. He had a few different roles. Programmer. Um, he had dated my sister in high school, so I knew them from that and then from festivals and stuff. And it was just like a weird transition. Where Are they still around? Not as a band. No. 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 They still. They still. And not as a label either. But they have a. Um, they still own. Uh, they have a studio called the Halo up up in Maine, and it's it's, it's dynamic. It's an amazing studio. So, nice. um, it's a barn. It looks like a barn. And then you go inside, you're like, what on earth is going on in here? It's crazy. Wow. But they had done a deal with an, like an investor. Um, so we started talking not too long after that, uh, me and Darren and he was like, listen, we have this, we have this guy who's partnered with us, this, this guy in Philadelphia who wants to invest into a situation and start a new label. We got a distribution deal with Universal. Let's go. So I started working with them and it took a while as I was going back and forth to, to Maine, which isn't as bad as Nashville, but, and I was also like, honestly kind of calling in favors for production um, because I was trying to keep the budget low because they were letting me, he's like, you can literally do whatever you want. Um, mm. Cause I trust you artistically. And I feel like you haven't been given the chance to literally put out a record that you want to put out. We're going to enable you to do that. We're going to oversee it. We're going to work together, but you better start making phone calls to get these beats. So DJ shock um, from Yonkers from rough riders um, previously, he, he and I had a good relationship and I had never put out any music with him yet. So this was the chance to do that. So between him and a bunch of other producers, we, Took a few years, but we've put out a project with with Chosen. Um, Chosen was like slash EMG slash Universal Christian, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but um, it was kind of tough because the profile of that imprint wasn't nearly as, it, the, their profile wasn't what Beat Marts had been. So even though the record that we finished, the Everyday Man record we finished was an 
exponentially better record than yeah. government name was. Yeah. Um, and I was like really happy with it. Yeah. It was a great record. Uh, I appreciate that, man. Uh, I was very proud of it in mostly cause we kept the, we really kept the budget like low. Yeah. Like we just like called in every favor we could and just, you know what I mean? We really kept it low. So it wasn't all this pressure to recoup a record. Um, because the beat mark, there's a lot of pressure there because they, they had spent. So, um, but unfortunately it was almost like it was tough because the transition of dig, you know, physical to digital was really happening. And we were kind of caught in the wake of right in, there in the middle of 2009, 2010, right in the middle of that as a transitional period in music. And uh, so even though, um, even though it got the, it got a lot of accolades and great reviews, but it didn't sell very well. Um, so after we did that one, sh honestly, shortly after that, um, Chosen stopped putting out records as, as a label as well. So from there, I just took a break, man. I took a break for a few years. Yeah. Um, now they did, you, did you two, did you do a lot of tour, tours with Chosen or was it just local? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't as national. Actually, you know, I take that back. Because I know, the thing. I know was, cause that was when Junior and I were, were hyping mm -hmm. for you. So I know we did a lot of local, but you did didn't do local. Yeah, but you didn't do anything national, right? Not, not nearly as much. Um, the funny thing was, I think people presumed that I was touring that extensively because I was with Beat Mart, and it was actually all... It was mostly because of my connections with the Assemblies of God, because I we had started a church here in Lynn, mm. and um, I was, you know, one one influential youth pastor led to uh, this phone call and this phone call and this phone call. And before I knew it, I was being booked on these tours called Seven Project, and they were a week or two weeks at a time in any one given region, and I kept getting booked for them. So it, it wasn't because of the label connection. It was it was through the, it was through um, somebody's the god actually through it was actually it started with my own church and just like that but it, it looked like it was like oh he's getting all these shows because he's with his label well they they actually had nothing to do with that oh wow um, i didn't know that but it looked that it looked that way um you know i tried then, i tried something like that because uh you know robin my pastor she she um gave me connections to tim mullen uh yeah, I don't know if, yeah to tim yeah, yeah and uh that yeah. just that that never happened he probably saw the email like I don't know this guy and just ignored it, <laughs> which I'll was tell, fine. I'll tell you what, man. It, it's I I I feel bad saying this, man. How do I put it? I almost like monopolized it. I didn't mean to, <laughs> but I was first in line with him. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so right. I was the first relationship he had as far as a local rap artist. So he kept bringing me back, like. For years, Tim would bring me back to stuff, yeah. you know, like yeah. not just once or twice. It was like, he probably brought me back seven or eight times. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I'm sorry, man. Nah, it's, <laughs> it's, all, it's all good, dude. man. I, I, it's yeah. only because I was first. Yeah, no, it's all good, man. I, I'm okay <laughs> with no's. I was like, well, it didn't happen. It's probably not meant to be. So I kind of just like kind of pushed it to the side and kept going. Yeah, man. It's, it's, uh, it's a whole combo. I had that talk. I think you were there actually. Do you remember when we went to Mike Mack's house and we we all had the, it was a few years ago. We were just kind of talking about 
the local scene in general. Yeah. Um, and I remember that being a topic of conversation as far as the few of the guys like Rockland was there, Mike Mack, Apple, you, a lot of dudes were there and they started like Mike kind of like made a, took a moment to more or less like acknowledge me and honor me as like one of Boston's pioneers. And mm -hmm. I remember like feeling humbled by that, but also this was years ago, taking a moment to point out, I'm like, listen, I'm not better. I'm not a better artist than any of you guys. I was literally first in line, you know, like I was really one of the first ones doing, I'm old, you know, it was like, it was new breed. Right. And then me, like, yeah. right. Right. And, and so I mean, there were definitely others in there, like significant, you know, artists in there, but as far as ones that got an opportunity to grow on that level and that, like I said, it wasn't some, a lot of it was timing and right. not only timing, but also profile. I was like, and I said this to him, like, I, was like, you know, for a lot of coming out of the eighties into the nineties, there was still a stigma attached to hip hop. So subconsciously or, or, or not, I was getting a lot of bookings I'm convinced one we're in New England and, but even global, even nationally, like there's something unspoken, but it's there. It was like, okay, we'll bring in a rap artist, but which one let's bring in the quote non-threatening when like they're bringing in white dudes for a reason, man. And that again, not, never anything that would be said, but I am convinced that there's some, there's some truth to it. I'm like, guys, part of the reason I got so many opportunities is because I'm white. Like, it would never be something that was ever said, but you could kind of feel it. Where it's like, well, they, we want to do something quote edgy. You will like the compromise. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and uh, I remember everyone in that room, and but when we were in, at Mike's in Dorchester, just being like, almost telling me, yeah, that might be true. Like no one denied that. They're like, no, that might be true. But the way that you more or less try to counterbalance it, and how can you ever counterbalance that? I don't think you can. But the counterbalance was you reached you reached right back and said, who's coming? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was kind of like, well, I remember Rockman saying that. He's like, yeah, but dude, you always brought us with you, man. You know, it was never like, bye. Like You were like, let's go. So they said, I remember Rockland being like, so we never, like no one ever even thought of it like that because we were all like family. So it was all, it was all love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's some truth to it. And, and again, in, in the moment, you're not necessarily consciously thinking that way, but I've had a lot of years to reflect on. And like, I got a lot of opportunities for reasons that you could argue were like I said, were they were like unconscious decisions made by people, but it had to do with biases as far as decisions that were being made on who are we going to put on the stage. Um, so, so yeah, man. But yeah, then and then you jumped on you yeah. and Junie. Junie had been around me for a while. Ilde yeah. had always traveled with me for years, and Lotto um, M Lot was with me for a bunch of years. Yeah, I remember M Lot. Um, he started that YouTube channel and yeah. I uh, wish he kept going you know, with it. It was pretty good. He's a funny, he's a funny kid. <laughs> yeah, he moved, he's in San Diego. He moved from Salem out to San Diego. Nice. Um, you know, he, I can't, you know, his isn't my story to tell. So I'll be careful here. But he, mm. um, he had been through quite a bit and he ended up in a situation where once he was in a more stable situation, high school clearly wasn't, it was, it was a tough situation. So his, right. his mom actually asked me to take him on tour 
which was dope because he showed up to my, he came, his mom brought him over to my house one day. The kid had learned, I, I gave him a CD of like stuff I've been working on and he learned it real quick. And so he just hit the road with me. It was dope. But then you guys did the same thing. Um, you and Junior uh, did the same thing with the government. I mean, excuse me, with the Everyday Man record. You just, yeah. and again, it's, it's, it's a humbling thing when people want to kind of like join your army when you don't have much to offer them. You know what I mean? I just, I just love the opportunity and the experience. Like when you were like, there's no money. I'm like, dude, the experience, that's like what I wanted. You know, I didn't care, you know? So I, I, I loved it. I I had, I had a great time, especially when we went to, um, soul fest. Yeah. You know, I've never been on that stage, a stage like that before, you know, it, it just being just as the hype man, it's just like, was exciting. And I just had like, time of my life man i thought i thought that was great so like the money thing didn't even care like if you ever handed great. me a few bucks i'd be like thanks but i yeah, yeah. but i would have never i ne- that's i never expected it so like i mean you told me up front which was great Word. but um but i i think i think it was like awesome experience it's um yeah it's it's a weird position to be in, right? Because, I mean, it's so much of that that you guys didn't realize regarding it. It wasn't all, like I, like I was saying, even as far as like the Boston guys saying, well, you always brought someone along with you, da-da-da. There was, behind the scenes, there was, admittedly, there were some self-serving pieces to that. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, there's the part where energy on a stage is energy. And you guys brought energy you and junior so like of course and you're my boys so like of course i wanted you on there but the other piece to it that I never really talked about too much was one i'm very insecure mm-hmm. and the idea of working a crowd by myself i i didn't i really never got comfortable with it mm-hmm. you know like i used i get to a point where i would do it but i was never fully comfortable with just going up and working a crowd up up there by myself right um but two um one of my vocal cords is paralyzed so only one of them moves. Mm. So I would lose my voice very easily when I was trying to do it on my own. So I, right. I actually needed another person up there so I didn't burn my voice out. Right. Um, so there were there was there was some practical reasons for it too. But the, the blessing of it was like when you're on a stage with dudes who who become your brothers, um, like you said, there was always this camaraderie that came with it. That and believe me, I always felt bad not being able to really put, you know, put grip in your pocket, but um especially because you were catching you caught me in like a rebuild season you know what i mean yeah, so we we're, yeah. were trying to make something happen uh kind of like re- restart something so it was a weird season we had we yeah. had some shows that were really dope yeah. and we had some shows that were lame as heck you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> so, did. We did. so but it was always so great having you like the the fact that like another person takes the time to learn your songs um, one shot was at, one shot was the hardest for me. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> hey man, yeah, it was it was, it was a wordy uh, that double time joint. Right? Yeah, but I, I remember when I when I met you, man, when, when we were out in Lemonster, you know, did that show out there, and you came out to the show. Yeah, and, did uh, I did I ever tell yeah. you the story about that? I you did, and honestly, the details kind of escaped me as far as how. It All right, down, so I, I, I invited a couple of people to come with me. Yeah. It was my first time, never been in that church. 
uh, obviously now you know it's my church, but um, uh, and um, I and uh, they bailed on me, and I was kind of upset because like man, I really wanted to come, and I was really like not in a good mood, and then I just had that feeling go anyways, go anyways. So I went, and then you know the rest is history. You became we became great friends, and then that became my church. But it's like, and then so many things came out of that. So it's like I felt like the enemy knew what was going to happen if I went. So he so he he wanted me to be mad about it and not go. He wanted me to just stay angry. But That's I wild. felt like God was still there. God came, became louder and was like, "Nah, nah, go. Just go." And I'm glad I went cuz it was a great show. You know, got to meet you, got to, you know, Robin, it was it was, you know, the rest is history. So but yeah, it, that's crazy too that you ended up going to that church too yeah. after the fact. Like that's that's so that's crazy. Man. Yeah, it is, man. It it is it is wild when you see like when you try to take a step back and look at the framework of a bigger picture like that. Like man, look at how many things came out of that one situation that had nothing to do with me. You know, like I was I was just like one cog insignificant really arguably cog in like this wheel, man, where it's like wow, look at look at the trajectory that happened to a kid at my church where he um years later he told me this because he's become like since he was like 10 he's been coming he was he was in foster care and stuff early on and he was coming through when he could when he was like on a visit with his mom or something because he he was living outside of his home and now he's in his 30s and a few years ago, he told me, he's like, you know what? He goes, I came back to church. I had I'd come when I was a kid. I went off and did my own thing. And then I ended up coming back in my 20s. He goes, do you know why? And I went, nah, why'd you? And he shows me this flyer. Remember we used to do Hip Hop Sunday at my church? Yeah, I remember. I, you, you were, I, remember, you, I, went, I went one time, yeah. You came? Yeah, yeah, you came with the band, when the band from, from, from New Bedford came. Yeah, yeah. It, those dudes, right? Right. He came to that show. So he had a flyer from that show in his hand. He yeah. said, I came because of this. It said that there was going to be a rap concert on a Sunday morning. And I was like, oh, yeah, I went there when I was a little kid. And, bro, he's like, he, he is so, like, he's a, 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 a linchpin of our church now. You wow. know what I mean? Like, if wow. I, and he told I didn't, I had no idea. He goes, that's what brought me back, man, the rap. Um but he's wise enough to know he's like to never suggest like it was you that brought me back. He was like, you were a piece right. of what God was doing to bring me back. You right. know what I mean? So right. it's, it, it's, it's quite amazing. When you see that stuff. Yeah. It's like, almost that yeah. same kind of story. Me rap yeah. brought me back to church because mm -hmm. um, I mean, my cousin, when I went, I don't know if you know the story, I was 16 years old. I went with my mom to visit my family in Brazil and, mm -hmm. um, I had no idea about Christian rap, never heard of it. And my family in Brazil are, you know, they're very Christian. So I was hanging out with my cousin who was only a year older than me. Mm. And he was listening to some uh, Brazilian Christian hip hop. And I was like, oh, this is cool. So he brought me to a store and um, there were, um, he and I bought some couple of Christian hip hop, uh, Brazilian ones, and mm -hmm. I bought a couple of uh, American ones, Cross Movement and KJ52. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then I came back and I searched searched KJ52, and I and I this was back with LimeWire days, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I found SOI, 
And I was like, yeah. whoa, SOI just like blew my mind. So yeah, that's, man. Yeah, so that's, that original record was hard. Oh, yeah. That man. first record was hard. Oh, yeah. yeah. Go, oh, man. Hey. Uh, Golden Child, I just love yeah. Golden Child. I don't know yeah, why he never went solo. Yeah. Um, and then, um, because <clears throat> he was just so chill. Yeah. That kid was so, yeah, he, he was, was just like, what are you up to? He's like, I'm a barber. What do you mean? Like, he was just chilling, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Man. So, yeah so that, so, so because of that, I started realizing, okay, like church isn't just, you know, hymns and praying church is like, you can be you now you can right. just use this and use it for God. So I started, so that brought me back to church. So even though my church wasn't really playing hip hop, I knew like, all right, I go to church to serve God, but when I'm not in church, I can keep my eyes on God, but listening to this instead of listening to like worldly rap. And I remember I had, you know, a bunch of Wu-Tang CDs, Mob Deep, uh, Dog Pound, uh, Snoop Dogg. I had like all these like stacks of CDs and I threw them all away. I yeah. threw them all away and I started filling up my shelf again with Christian hip hop CD. And then back then, it was hard to find. This was, uh, so yeah. I was 16, so 97. It was hard to find back then, going online and just trying to find Christian hip-hop. It was so hard. So I, I eventually kind of still went back to listening to secular hip-hop uh, mm -hmm. just because I, I, needed, I needed to have hip-hop in my life. I just couldn't find a lot of Christian hip-hop, but I was still seeking it. And then eventually... You know, when the internet, when, you know, they started using the internet more and more and more, then iTunes came out and then it was, it was easier to find, yeah. you know, and then I just, then I just started just listening to Christian hip hop all the time. That's it. It's, a, it's, it's, um, it's funny having been immersed in it, um, cause I grew up on it from, and you, I'm older than you, right? So you wouldn't necessarily remember these guys. I mean, Grits were the first group that I was like, yo, what is this? But before that, there was um, Mike Peace, PID, SFC, D-Boy Rodriguez. Like there, were, there was a first wave of guys that I, same thing, it was hard to find. I have to go to the, go to drive to this Christian bookstore yeah. and buy a tape, you know? Out in Acton, I remember there was a Christian bookstore and they, they had a little rap section. I used to always get my tapes, but, um, the uh it's 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 crazy how like a few people started something that grew and grew and grew and grew. like i remember being on a this was right before you it was this was in between it was 07 so this was in between the beat mart stuff and when you came on with me i went out i had another kid who was traveling with me a little bit that i his dad had been my youth pastor and he was the same deal he was like yo can you just go around with you man he needs someone to look out for him so he was like being a hype man for me we, we went and did a youth convention in uh upstate new york and mike peace was like the one of the key speakers and it's like bugging out because mike peace was like the first christian rap tape i ever had you know what i mean that so sounds familiar like, mike peace that sounds familiar i wonder if i heard something from him uh, I mean, it's, he, it's, yeah, I mean, it was just in New York guys, yeah. you know, it's a Bronx guy, but it was, it was just wild to me. I'm like, man, you even know how influential you were on me, dude. Like you were the first tape I had and now yeah. I'm up on the stage with you. That's wild to me, dude. But, um, 
But yeah, I think I'll tell you this, as far as following it, since I sort of slowed things down, I haven't really followed it. And it's, I don't even, I don't even chalk it up to the fact that the sound has changed so much that that's fine. Cause I'll pull out, like I'll follow some guys, like I, I propaganda, propaganda for a new song today, actually. Um, there are some guys that I'll still be like, oh, whatever they put out, I'm listening to. But right. um, I'm not even worried about the guys as far as, you know, a lot of the first trap and now just a lot of the more melodic stuff. Stylistically, that's not even what kind of deters me at all. Like, I like a lot of that stuff. It's more, it's more the idea. I'm going to talk about this with, with Shock on his podcast next week as well, because he, he, you know, I sort of on the same page with it because mm-hmm. um, he had been with Rough Riders and then he had, he ended up leaving Rough Riders and then he ended up coming to some conventions, conventions with me in Nashville and I introduced him to some Christian people and he had a worse experience in Nashville than he did in New York really? know, as far as people being dishonest. Um, well, I don't know if worse, I don't know if you've seen, but like, he has lawsuits out against against nah. Rough Riders and stuff. So yeah, they owe him a ton of money. But um, like Supreme Court stuff, it's it's. Wow. I'm not gossiping. Like he, he's very right. like. Right. I mean, if it's on media, Supreme Court, it's public. It's, yeah. It's all over his social media too. He's very, very vocal about it. Right. But but he 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 didn't have a good experience with the Christian people he met either. Mm. And unfortunately, uh, the people that I had the good experiences with were my people. I mean, I sense that's not unfortunate, but it was you, it was Junior, it was Ilde, it was, um, you know, it was Stev, um, Manchild, and, you know, it ended up being, you know, Shock. It was it was all these guys that were, um, um, Corey Hicks and um, Swift. I, I did a, that was in between too. I did a couple of tours in Jamaica with Swift and, and Hicks. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember when you went there. Yeah. And um, it was those guys where it was just like real genuine, you like form a brotherhood and you you're not you're not questioning the words coming out of their mouths, right? We're all we all fall short, no question, but for the most part, it's like these are straight shooting guys. Even in the midst of turmoil and mistakes and sin, we were honest with each other, right? But on the business side of it, my perspective now is that it is, it is kind of odd from an outsider's perspective looking in that a completely separate genre was created of music exclusively for people of a specific faith, right? And I mean, also as a tool, but there really isn't anything else like that. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, here's rap. Well, let's make Christian rap. Now it's a separate category. Now it's a separate audience. Now it's now it's very much like um, compartmentalized if you let it be. And I think it's because I've been working in a public space for quite a long time since then. My perspective on that has changed because I've kind of been out of the bubble for a while. You know what I mean? And All I'm right. not speaking ag- against it, um, but I am bit a bit more keenly aware of the idea that if you want to get in that bubble and stay there and eat, you can and not really have to think about what's outside of it if you don't want to. And the unfortunate part is 
within that bubble, there are people who are faking jacks and they're not, they're not really about it. They're right. there to eat too. You know what I mean? Right. And, yeah. um, and that's, that's the part that sometimes if you're naive and I was, you go in trust. That's like the overarching theme is we're believers. So you trust. Right. Yeah. And then you find out you shouldn't have. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? So, been there. Been there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that's perspective that I have that you can only learn that through experience, but it's, it, it makes me use, I'm very cautious about who, even in this season, working with some new songs, like, man, my circle is small right now. Not right. that I'm trying to, I'm not trying to make anything happen as a career, but even as far as like, okay, who am I going to line myself with to put some new things out? It's like five people, you know, right. it's a very small circle. Um, of people that I have 15, 20 year relationships with who I, I trust, you know, because same thing with me. Well, my will sell. I, I hear you, man. I, I, there is a certain producer online. I buy beats from, and then mm -hmm. Apple Jacks mm -hmm. mixes it. That's it. Sure. There's nobody else involved. So I hear you, man. I hear you. And that, that was pivotal for me too. It's, it's, it's funny. I, I hadn't mentioned Ernest yet because he's like a whole separate conversation in yeah. itself. <laughs> Right? Right, he, right he really is um because my relationship with him went from just we met in 20 we met in 2005 at, at gma in Asheville. like i had a we both we had a, um, a showcase together and we met we had we had done a song previously to that previous excuse me previous to that uh, just having met online but we actually met finally in 05 and and since then the brotherhood that we've built um and this isn't an exaggeration. He's, he's other than my wife um, and my children, he's the closest person to me in, in the world. Wow. Yeah. Um, like he's genuinely my, like he's more than a brother to me. Mm -hmm. And it, it just built out of, so when it comes down to working with, who are you going to work with? Um, I wouldn't even think twice. It's, it's not, am I working with Ernest? It's like a package deal now. Like if if I'm doing something, if his hand's not, if his hand isn't in it on some level, I actually don't want to do it. You know what I mean? I kind like of feel he, the same way, man. Yeah. Me yeah. and him are like-minded people. Yeah. You know, so that's why I keep him close because, mm -hmm. you know, if I keep him close, I can, because we just texted each other about recording music and I was he was like, yo, if I do this once a week, I'll be better. I'm like, bro, I was thinking the same thing. I gotta do this once a week. I'll be ahead of the game. Like like minded people, I'm like, all right, cool. I know somebody yeah. who's very ambitious is doing this thing. So that makes me feel like, okay, I'm on the right track too, because here's this guy doing the same thing. So I, I hear that's why I keep him close. And throughout the years, me and him have got, became really great friends. Really great friends. So and we probably just text each other maybe once a week or once every other week. And, um, he's helping me build my website. Yeah. But like I said, we're just like-minded people when it comes to our career and our future. And I shifted on what I wanted to do in my future. Cause now I got the electrical business part mm -hmm. of it, even though the other things are still there. Uh, it's kind of shifted in a way where I'm going to incorporate everything. And he's literally helping me create that vision be like, all right, so if you're going to still rap, 
the podcast if you're going to still finish the book that I've been writing for like eight years, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, now you got this, this is what you want to do. So there's going to be like, you know, certain changes where I possibly I'm good Friday is just a rap name from the past. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, even though I'll still be rapping up, like doing like a KJ five, two thing where now he's still rapping, but it's Jonah. Cause like now right. it's like right. different. So, so he's helping me create that vision. And like, honestly, without him, I would be like, I don't know where to go. Like, I don't sure. know where to go with this, but because he's like, he's been a student of entrepreneurship and all this stuff, he's like helping me like line up. And you, you know, you can you can take a master class online or watch YouTube videos to learn all that stuff. But when you got like a friend that like knows this that can guide you, it, it's like not having a friend, but it's like having a coach. You know, so, absolutely. So. No, he's he's the best. He's my best coach, no question. Yeah, um, yeah I totally agree with you. There, there's something about, and I will tell you this. And I'm, so there was a season after the one with you where and I, I know I've already touched on this with you, you know, in personal conversation, but um, I'm going to be careful not to say disparaging things here, but there mm -hmm. was a season of partnership after you guys, right? where I um, speaking of being too trusting, right? Right. I went for, and I, that's a whole conversation you and I probably haven't had. Maybe we've touched on it in the past, but yeah, you've told me of, you've told me quite a bit of what happened. Yeah, but even as far as why I, I was still trusting in general, you know what I'm saying, Anderson? Like, there's there's a past um, that I can't speak about publicly right. as far as why I attach so anxiously to people, right? Um, and have this like thirst for approval and fear of abandonment. I mean, I've mm -hmm. gone through a lot of therapy, man, but th there's a reason, right? There, right. there, there's trauma there, but it also was a bad formula for partnerships when you partner with the wrong person. Mm. Um, and unfortunately there was a season where I was little by little being manipulated into essentially handing over all of the keys to the kingdom. Um, however you want to put that essentially something was being everything was being squeezed out of my situation that could be squeezed out of it without anything being given back. Um, and part of that was deliberately splintering my relationships that were preexisting. Mm. Um, and it, that involved you, that involved Junior, that involved Ernest, that mm. involved all the Boston guys, that involved anybody who might have been seen as an interference to taking as much as could be taken. Right. Um, and it took me entirely too long to finally say, I'm done. Um, I was convinced, I was led to believe, I was gaslit into believing that I wasn't on that level. And looking at it now, I'm like, I was piggybacked. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, it, it, that is it, a I perfect word. Yes. You know, I was like, oh, yes. no, no. Actually, you jumped on my back because right. you didn't know because you didn't have a oh, situation. Yeah. I saw that. I saw definitely you know? saw that. Yeah. And I was so fragile over some unpacking of some things that I, I actually hadn't, I wasn't genuinely unpacking them yet, but the trauma had started to set in on some things and I was in a spiral. 
and it was like the perfect formula to be manipulated. Yeah. Um, and I hurt some people as a result. Now, thank God you were gracious. Yeah. Er, um, Junior was gracious. Ernest was gracious. All, and I made 20 phone calls after the fact, mm-hmm. years later. You know what I mean? And um, But there's still remorse there uh, as far as like, man, I had these ride or die people that I, I basically... I don't want to say was manipulated into casting aside because that puts full responsibility elsewhere and I'm on my own person. So I knew I was doing it, but I was convinced it was for the right reasons um, due to a shift in a shift in vision, so to speak. But it was, it, I was just being constantly gaslit and yeah. um, I'm remorseful about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but I, I'm, grateful for is the fact that none of you guys ditched me like you all i think like you said you kind of saw it happen and Ernest definitely saw it happening yeah and they y'all stuck by me and we're just kind of like waiting for it to end i think you know what i mean but yeah um, nah, nah, I hear you, but, man. There was a couple of situations. I remember yeah. you said you had an opportunity and it didn't happen because of the partnership. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. no, I, I, re- I remember that, man. And I, and I hear you like with me, with you, because like, I felt like honored to be a friend, your friend. Cause I'm like, here's this guy who's done so much, um, in, in music, you know, compared to me and, you know, when I got invited to tour with you and things like that, I felt honored. And I always like, you know, I got to be careful never to overstep because, um, you know, because I said, because I was to myself, because I met with you, I thought you were really cool. I, I always thought, okay, even though like nothing happens for me musically working with him, I still want to be his friend. So I was like, never wanted to like overstep and things like that because i remember there was a time when you were like hey uh i'm just gonna bring junior to the show because i think you still need to learn the music right i I was a little disappointed but i understood because i'm like i get it because this is his thing and it's a privilege for me part of it and if i need to do better if you feel that's what i gotta do so i said totally get it understand wanted to go obviously but i didn't want to because i felt like if i got mad you know if i got mad at him i was like that would ruin it and that would totally ruin it so i was like "Mm." i'm like darn it okay all right all right get it no problem and then the year after i went with you guys so obviously it got better but i never wanted to ever make you think that i was like that Cause I sure. never want to be like that. I never want to be the person who rides somebody's coattails. And you know, I always want to be, you know, I want to get here on my own way, whether somebody helped me, that's great, but I don't want it to be known like, Oh, it's because you were riding on his coattails and mm. you know, you were after him for everything and not going on your own. So I always wanted to like never cross that line, you know. But understand and and understand um, one thing about because I um, because of like I was saying as far as kind of anxiety has sort of fueled me for so much of my life. 
the, I was thinking, it's funny that you say that because I guarantee that I was feeling like insanely anxious about even having that conversation <laughs> with you. Yeah. I fear that you wouldn't want to be with us anymore. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I wanted you with us. So the idea of being like, ah, oh, you know what, maybe, maybe um, professionally and artistically, a decision needs to be made regarding the presentation. This is an unfortunate part of that, but it's not over. It's just, it's just a, um, it's a quality control right. thing. And as you, you learned, I mean, you, you learned I was, and you are too, so you understand this, there's, there's a perfectionism that comes with it. Right. Um, like as far as being anal about this has got to be just right. Um, to, to a fault, I admit. But the fact that you want to stick, because, because, to me, it's like, I'm just, it's just crazy. This dude wants to ride with me. You know what I mean, man? So yeah. it's, I, I, we were basically in the same place. Like, I was worried that you were going to be like, <laughs> forget this dude then. You know, but, uh, you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. But it's funny because I talked to Ilde today, and he said the same thing to me that you just said today, dude. Well, we were texting because he said he showed me a clip that was on YouTube of a, a showcase we did in Nashville. Yeah. In 2000, I think, eight. Oh, I think I saw that one. Were you, were you guys wearing flannels or was he wearing a flannel? He had a flannel on. Yeah, yeah. okay. I think I remember that. Yeah. It was like a real dope stage. It was yeah. Like, yeah it was, it, it, I think it was in the House of Blues. Um, yeah, I think it was in the House of Blues. Um, and I didn't remember this. He said, hey, man, remember you did, I did this song and this song, and then you had me stay in the back of the stage and wait for this song, and then came back for this song. That kind of hurting me though. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about, God? He, he's like, man, you didn't let me do that song with you, bro. And I was like, he goes, I mean, granted, I didn't know it. And I was like, yo, that's why. I said, I didn't, I didn't want it to I didn't want you to be left there holding a mic, not knowing the words. Right. But I wanted you on the stage with me. So it only made sense for you to sit one out and make it look like it was on purpose. You right, know what I mean? Right. Rather than stand there just grunting into a microphone not knowing what to do <laughs> during a song that i just wrote you know what i mean so right, right um so it's funny you said that but uh anyways man now when it comes down to it and this is just you know in this in this season i know that you know i have no aspirations of you know being a touring artist or whatever yeah i was gonna ask you i was gonna ask you that next like what's the future look like because now you're making music again yeah, I have no desire for that, man. Um, I really am. And I know we all have our own kind of different stances. I'm not going to talk politics. I'm just going to talk um, passion here. Mm -hmm. You know, because we, as far as, you might even acknowledge this, that we, we, we have maybe different perspectives based on our own experiences. We all do, right? So, mm -hmm. and that's good. We should, we should embrace those differences, right? It makes for good. Right. It makes for good perspective. Right. Um, but what I personally am um, convicted to do is to channel, and it sounds corny, but if anything I have to say right now, based on some of the, my own experiences or convictions can, if anything I say on, on, on a record can resonate with somebody, um, that'll be worth my while. Now, there's, there's another side to this. My sister had this talk with me because she realized that kind of part of my therapeutic process is creativity. She's like, she said, when you're being creative, you're healthier. Mm. Um, 
when you're not immersed in something, you're, you're in your head too much. Whereas when you're focused on getting something accomplished and, and it's creative, you're in a much, much better space, Bobby. Mm, so yeah. I took her, I took heed to her advice and I started, I'm like, I gotta make some music now. But, um, you know, that first jam I did that, um, hit and run joint was, do your kids say a sub? Do your kids say that when someone subs you online? My kids mm. always say that. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? It's, it's just some passive aggressive stuff. It's, it's some of the stuff we just talked about. It was me getting it out on wax. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, and then the the second one's called A Chair in the Sun. Is it's really just yeah, that's a good that's a good record. I love that one. Thank you, man. It's just about what I've been through. Yeah. It's not detail. It's not detailed. It's all metaphor, but it's just about getting through traumatic experience and recognizing that there's there's hope, um, or at least hoping for hope. You know what right. I mean? In um, this I, next joint, go ahead. No, I was gonna say that secretly, I wanted you to get back. And like tour again and be up there again and see Rapzilla talking about you, see <laughs> Chris Chicago talking. About, I wanted to because yeah, yeah. I wanted that for you because I felt like um, that w- with the situations that happened to you, I felt like that right. that ex- that was taken from you. And I know when it when it when it came to beat mark, that was your decision to leave. But then sure. you know you went on to chosen, and I felt like I felt like you you should have had that type of experience to to be up there with with a lot of those guys and, and performing on big stages like KJ was and Andy Mino and Lecrae. You know, I I wanted that for you like so bad, but then. But then after a while, I started thinking, like, I want that for him, but, like, he might not want that. Why Why would I want something for him that he might not want? I'm like, if he's happy, I should want that for him. So, you know. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah. So I, after that, after a while, it started just, I'm like, look, if the, if the dude is happy, I should be happy for him and not try to <laughs> be like, dude, you should do this, you should do this. So. It, it just took me a while to to realize that for you. You know, it's, it's appreciated and, and look looking at things. There were some things that came that did come along that had I been in a better part. If I had maintained the partnership with you guys, there there experiences that you got robbed of that you shouldn't have been. You should have been on that Lecrae show with me. You know what I mean? And. Mm. Um, like I, I, I'm glad Antoine and, and Ernest were a part of that, but I, I, I wish you guys had been, I, I wish there had been a different situation because you could have, um, you deserved that, you know, yeah. you deserved a situation like that. It was cool. It, it was yeah. just cool hanging out with those guys. And, yeah. um, so there's, as you know, there's some, there's some remorse on my part. Like, man, I wish I had made some better decisions. But Junior and I, we were like happy to see you up there. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously DI and, and Ernest and, and Antoine, we were just like, we were there like room free. We like, I, I mean, I, I'm sure Junior, I can't really speak for him, but I'm sure because I, we both know him. I'm sure he felt this way. We, we never, I know I never thought this way. I never thought like I should have been up there. 
you know, I, I, I did kind of think like it would have been cool to be up there, but I never thought yeah. like I should have been up there with him. I should have uh, been up. I, I never thought that. I was just more happy to see that. I'm like, yeah, man, those are my friends. I see him up there. That's great. So I was more happy for you guys than to even think of like when you called me last minute, because you called me last minute. I came home from work and you're like, dude, I got an extra <laughs> ticket. I told my wife, I like, got an extra ticket. My wife's like, go, go, go. That's you know? cool. That's cool. So, um, but yeah, man, I've never even, I never felt robbed. I never right. did. I'm glad to hear that, man. It's funny how we're fleshing all this out on the podcast. It's cool. <laughs> That's what it's about, man. This is, this yeah. is what makes good podcasts, man. <laughs> it, it's it's funny man because again like the appear the appearance of it is like wow even I, I have the ticket stuff you know it just literally says the crave feature of bobby bishop is wild you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and it's so funny some of the stuff that went down uh even with that show and this was it must have been in crate in the craze rider and I, I this isn't an accusation it was just circumstantial i'm like something's off here our music wasn't that loud and Antoine had that thing cranked and he kept looking at me like, bro, this mixer is cranked. I don't know why it's not like, mm. and we kept telling the sound man, Hey, you got it. We need some more volume from the house, man. Like this right. isn't hitting right. And then, and he never quite fixed it. And then as soon as Lecrae hit that stage, that place when like the bass just shook, it was like, yeah, we had the same amount of bass in our tracks, dude, what the heck just happened? Right. And it was just, I'm sure it was, it's probably part of, is probably part of the production requirements yeah. that it was like uh he doesn't get to shut the place down before i take the stage you know what i mean right. and, uh not not that my set would have shut it down because his energy level's insane yeah but but even as far as like you can't bring the energy up too much with the opening act because right. th- that you can't steal that and, and I, I get that right but I'm not gonna lie, it was frustrating. Like, yo, because yeah. that's my memory of that show. It's not as much what a dope experience. Like, this is how crazy I am. My memory of it was being on the stage, being like, I can't hear this music, and it's cranked. You know what right. I mean? So, right. It's well, so have you that, stuff. that? Have you performed for a big crowd like that before? Like when you were like with Beatmark, yeah, I know you performed with some big crowds, oh, but yeah. But where was it yeah, like yeah. big like that with Lecrae? Yeah, I've been probably the most I ever. Let's see, in Kentucky, two thousand six, we had there was five thousand at this one show. Um, I did one event in Boston that was ten thousand one time. So yeah, there was big, much bigger crowds than that. Oh yeah, the Boston, Boston down the downtown. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, I remember the, that was the a lot. Night of worship was ten thousand yeah. people, and the and I said I think the next biggest one. Yeah, and there was another youth convention in Florida that I think was five thousand. So okay. yeah, I've been definitely, but but um, but it was that was a de- the the part of the problem. The acoustics in that chapel are kind of wild as it is. I think mm-hmm. that's what was throwing me off. But um, but my point is, it's it's a trip. How even to this day, like my obsessive compulsion, my first thought isn't, "Yo, we open for the cray. We're chilling <laughs> with this dude." My right. first thought is. Man, that sound wasn't quite right, dude. <laughs> like, it's like... But that's the, but that's how professional you are, man. Like you're a professional. Like, you know, me, I would have overlooked it and because I would have been so excited when, you know, but I but I get it, man. There's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. I mean, that's the professionalism that you had. And I, I'm sure you still 
appreciated the experience. But I would have like, totally. if my mic wasn't working, I probably wouldn't have noticed. Because I would have been <laughs> so excited. People would just be looking at me. It's like, people are looking at me. This is great. But not realizing they're probably yeah, looking yeah, at me because yeah. they can't hear me. But yeah, man. <laughs> hey, hey, but hey, man, we're, 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 we'll, we definitely want to do this again. We're, we're getting yeah, on an sure. hour and a half. So I don't know if... Um, uh, we don't want to give people too much. So we'll definitely do this again in the future. Uh, I appreciate it, man. So um, are you, before we go, are you coming out with, are you just coming out with singles or are you just going to come out? Are you going to come out with an EP? So I know you're trying to wrap up. I'll try to kind of condense this. Um, I'm working on two things simultaneously right now. Um, I've been, I've been working on like you, I've been working on a book for a number of years now. And yeah. Um, part of it is, as you know, in writing, it has to do with um, energy and motivation and inspiration. But also part of it for me has had to do with um, self-discovery. Mm. So um, the book is called Props. It's like a triple entendre. And like I said, when, once I was diagnosed um, with anxious attachment disorder, um, I realized that there are how do I put it? As far as having um, pure intention in my relationships in general, I'm realizing that over time, the way that I attach to people, including kind of who I surround myself with, has always very much been like a stage production where I've kind of strategically placed people around me like stage props in order to create, not, not consciously, but out of survival, um, create a perception of like, if I place all of this around me, then that, that, that subsequently will define me. You know what I mean? So it's a state, it's like put these stage props out here to make this look a certain way, create your, create an identity. And in addition to that, the fact that um, it's this constant like thirst for affirmation and approval and needing people to prop me up um, and, and kind of give me, give me self-assurance, right? So it's a combination of that with um, there are a lot of kind of stories interwoven into it regarding um, race relations and my, but my specific relations with my adjacencies and how mm -hmm. even in that regard, I've, I've always been surrounded by people of color and arguably, even though my relationships are genuine, it's also not coincidental. Right. That makes sense in that it has always been deliberate and now learning kind of this about myself as far as like, well, yeah, because there's, there's a, there's a, um, a diagnosis due to childhood stuff that kind of has fueled how, how I interact and how I overall uh, survive. Part of that actually has been, okay, let's really look at my relationships now. Let's break them down and recognize that, under any circumstances, under no circumstances, is it ever acceptable to put somebody adjacent to you in order to create a perception um, of whatever it may be? And so I've been looking at that, especially in this day and age where we're, you know, there's kind of like this renaissance going on in our country and a, a, you know, really a, a, a new civil rights movement. Right. So it's really for, it's really not forced me, it's encouraged me to genuinely look at my relationships and be like, okay, 
I want to appreciate this person for who they are and celebrate who they are through and through. You know what I mean? Right. Um, anybody in my, Jess had this talk with me when we were dating. I remember her being like, listen, man, like you can't parade me around. Um, she was cause I, I know like obviously cause she's pretty, but also she's like, oh, it's like, I can't be your Puerto Rican girlfriend. I just have to be your girlfriend who's right. Puerto Rican. You know right. I mean? Like you can't bring me around like, Hey, you look, I got a little bit extra. I give you, I get some extra props here. Look who's on my arm. <laughs> but they're like, right. and I didn't understand time because I was kind of into, I was clueless. I was, I was 19. You know what I mean? Like I was clueless or 20, but I've had a lot of years to break it down. So the, the book is kind of a combination of its stories and its dissection and it's concluding the kind of conclude the conclusion is essentially the idea that like, I want my intentions to be pure um, so that people feel genuinely appreciated and they're, they're enabled to genuinely be themselves no matter what right. um, in their relationship with me. So, and like I said, not a colorblind, I'm not, I'm not suggesting like a colorblind approach because that's a very old and, honestly, ignorant way of thinking that rationalize a lot of bad thinking in our country. So it's, it's not that it's, it's, it's just not forgetting like, okay, we can celebrate everything that this person is externally and culturally, but most importantly, who they are, you right. know what I mean? Um, right. And so it, it's kind of a dissection of that. So I'm, I'm finishing that. And simultaneously, I'm like, I would like to get some music going to compliment it. You know what I mean? Right, so yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm almost done with it. So I'm like, let's start peppering out some songs just to kind of grease the wheels here. Nah, I hear you, um, man. I, I hear it because I, I've been, uh, uh, the past few years, a lot of my music has been about motivation and about getting over fear because I've had to come up, come, um, I had to come over a lot of that because I was in a space where I thought this is my life and it will never change. And, um, and I, I like God shook me for a while and be like, look, you, you, there's more for you to give. You don't pigeon yourself in this one spot. And because mm -hmm. in this one spot, you're not exceeding like most people, that doesn't mean you're, you're not set for greatness. There's so many other things right. that you need to do. So my music has evolved around that. And that's, that's where this podcast came with hashtag living yeah. it, where my wife and I talk about our goals and aspirations and just life. And I bring people on to talk about the same thing too. The music was reflecting that the book that I'm writing, even though it's fictional, uh, reflects that in a lot of the things in the brand that I'm trying to recreate, create reflects that. So I get what you're saying. You got the book, you want the music to relate to it and uh, compliment each other and it'll def it's kind of like a kind of like a a, a pre-promotion to the book right. you know so i i get what you're saying man um you know i can't wait for that i can't wait for more music Thanks, i love hearing more music from you um and uh yeah man uh definitely i want to see you succeed whether it's in social work whether it's the music whether it's the book i want to see you you know succeed in, in in everything you you do man and i appreciate talks like that man it sucks that we live so far away we live in the same state for people who are listening they're out of state 
Uh, but we live over an hour away, so it's like hard for us to like connect, you know. It's just far enough, right? You know what I mean? Right, like, and you have your family and your career. I have my family, and we can't just yeah. like we just can't get up and leave. Like my best friend Mike, not married, no kids, he could just get up and leave, but right. he understands with me that that's not possible. Yeah. And he lives in Worcester. I live yeah. in right outside. We're like literally like fifteen minutes away from each other. Yeah. So for us to like, we're going out tomorrow night to hang out, yeah. and it's like the first time we're hanging out in like months. <laughs> yeah. Yo, we're we, we, we doing like the we drinking the same thing. Like, I'm go like my best childhood friend Demetrius. Same thing. I'm I'm seeing him tomorrow. Yeah. And, and for the first time in, I'm not even kidding. It's been like 11 months. I haven't seen that kids like since. Wow. It's crazy. So, um, same thing. It's like, but it. I agree with you. It's easier when um, when you don't have a million other obligations and a right. couple of jobs and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. uh, I kind of take solace in the idea that um, you got to be proactive in seeing each other, but also the fact that we have all this technology to keep us connected is pretty dope. Yeah, know? it definitely so, is. It so, definitely yeah. is, man. Definitely is. So, bro, bro, I appreciate you coming on. You. I appreciate you talking. Everybody, Bobby Bishop, where can they find you if anybody wants to see you or see your music? Yeah, yeah man. Um, I got both those songs on bobbybishop.com. Um, it's also under um, peoplearntprops.com. And my my Instagram handle is Bobby Bishop. So, that's how old I am, dude. <laughs> <laughs> my Instagram handle is my name. Because I <laughs> first you know? nah, that's good man I, that's that's I, I like that i like that so i appreciate you man hey everybody for uh everybody that's listening please check out our store at flex clothing.com flex to get some t-shirts and our featured sweatshirt god plus coffee so check it out peace Hashtag living it with Tina and Anderson.